0: Hey, everybody, it's Drew from Sleep With Me, and believe it or not, I'm live here uh, from Golden Gate Park, recorded live, uh, and I've got a little announcement. We're teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you two exclusive episodes. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlists of clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. Each playlist has its own topic or theme. You could try out the Music Dakota playlist with clips all about unpacking and analyzing music, uh, or Slice of Life, which is all about the crazy or incredible things that happen to everyday people. Also, Spoke has fun, exclusive content from Farrell. And that's why I'm here live at Golden Gate Park. I just concluded uh, recording one of these episodes that's only going to be available exclusively on Spoke. I'm lying here in the grass. Uh, You definitely do not want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Sleep With Me's exclusive Spoke episodes. You can find them all at Spoke.com. Slash sleep with me. That's spoke.com slash sleep with me. Check it out. uh, And I'll see you in Golden Gate Park at Stowe Lake. Bye.
1: Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have. Bompus. They're premium high performance athletic socks. And they're so comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters for every pair of socks purchased, Bompas donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com feral and buy some comfortable socks.
0: Feral Audio.
1: Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. If you like my theme music there, that's a band called Les Blanks. Go check out more of their music. Uh, if you're a first time listener, thank you very much. Uh, the show is just what the title implies. It is a conversation with me, and I talk to somebody who's had a great, fascinating life artists, musicians, uh, sometimes uh, radicals from the 60s. It's, uh, it's a pretty damn good show, frankly, if I don't mind saying myself. Uh, Today is a really great episode. It's um, uh, it's Mr. Fred Stoller, who's an actor, an author, a a comedian, and uh, some of the funniest things that have ever been said on my show are said on this very episode. And uh, Mr. Stoller is uh, incredible. I think you'll... uh, I I don't have a lot of comedians on on the show. I think Fred is my third. And uh, so I, I try to have comedians on sparingly but uh, fred is such a unique um individual and with such a great story that i i had to have mr stoller on and i've been a big fan of his for years and we have a, it's weird because we have a ton of mutual friends and we've never met i've never even seen him at uh, on the street <laughs> and i just think it was weird that we've never met but i was glad to meet him and have this conversation it's really it's really awesome there's i was doing something weird and i didn't know it at the time during the whole i my nose is like a little too close to the uh, microphone, so if you're like listening to this on headphones, y- y- you'll get the impression that I was uh, not having a conversation with Fred, but uh, uh, watching him shower. Cause there's just this sometimes there's just this weird breathing, and it's like I'm a pervert. Um, so yeah, here's some weird news from my life, if you don't mind me um uh, saying is uh, something made a weird noise. I got distracted there for a second. It sounded like, I'd not to be crass or blue. Blow, blow, it sounded like one of my dogs relieved themselves. <laughs> but uh, I, um, at the time that I'm recording this intro, I got engaged the day before it. And it was, uh, it's, uh, boy, you know, that's a thing. I've never, I've, actually, I have been married before, but I've always just done really stupid ways of getting Married, sounding like I've done it a thousand times. I've done it. This will be my third. <laughs> as I joke in my stand-up act, it's like saying to my my girlfriend, "It's like, uh, how would you like to be my bronze? You come in third. Um, but uh, it's uh, you know, even though you know the woman is gonna say yes, as I know my my Kelly was gonna say yes, it's just such a um, it, uh, it's it's terrifying. It is a very like guys need to get some credit from the world for like. You know, I've had, I had the ring for two years, I was, had a rash, I was so stressed out about this, of course, you know, I've, if I, if I had a slogan for me as a human being, it would be having some sort of rash since 1968, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a terrifying thing, and. You kind of, you know, you have to kind of be dishonest a lot of times when you're proposing. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I had to fake, like, I needed to get her to this one place. And then I was like, oh, I'm not feeling well. Like, ah, I need some air. You know, total, total lies. So pre- pretty much, you know, you're starting off your the next level of your relationship based in, in fallacies. <laughs> but, uh, and here's something, though. Here's something really incredible about getting engaged because I was so wound up and pacing around all day, and like weeping when I would think about it, and then you're so wound up, but then you're so happy, and then when you have a couple glasses of uh, champagne or whatnot when you're celebrating, that's the best high ever. Like I could, you're happy, you're a little buzzed, you just decompressed from being really stressed out, and and then you throw in a couple cocktails in there, and it was like a, I'm guessing it's kind of what like maybe a speedball would be like, I mean, I could see where you could get addicted to proposing and having some drinks, <laughs> just repeatedly doing that. Uh, the other the other awful thing is you have to think about, oh, that was the other thing, I was like terrified she was going to hate the ring, or like, I'm so neurotic, like I was thinking like all the, because, you know, we went to this area of Pasadena, South Pass, and we had French dinner after I proposed, and... There's a lot of old, stodgy, rich people there, and I kept expecting, like, someone to be like, oh, let me see the ring, and then, uh, like, be like, oh, that looks cheap. Like, that, I was literally thinking somebody was going to be like, that looks like a cheap ring. You couldn't get a better, bigger diamond than that. Like, I was expect, I, and, you know, my girlfriend says I always think of the worst case scenario, because now I'm like, oh, uh, we got engaged, so I'm probably going to find out I have cancer. So <laughs> like, that's... It, it's hard for me to enjoy something pure bliss. Like, I'm like, well, then something horrible has to happen, right? Because I'm happy, and I, I certainly am not used to being happy. So I'm sure, like, a 18-wheeler is going to come careening into this uh, French bistro on a side little square sweet street. <laughs> but somehow it's going to get there. Anyway, that's uh, but um, you know, uh not to sound uh, corny or whatever, but um, you know, I've I've been on this earth a few decades. I've uh I've uh, had a lot of relationships, but I never knew what it really entailed or meant. I'd always been too young or selfish or destructive. And then one day you sort of, everything clicks in your head and you realize, oh my God, you're with a very precious, wonderful person. And uh, well, I guess what I should have just said is I kind of understand what love is now. I never did. And it's, uh, it's a really great feeling. And I hope everybody and uh, this world gets to experience that. But you know what? Odds are you won't. (laughs) Sorry. See, I have to ruin every... I have to say something horrible. Um, Let's get to this conversation with Fred Stoller. It's really incredible. He's a super... It's really funny, and there's some really great, endearing, and insightful moments uh, about uh, showbiz and being creative. Here it is, Fred Stoller. so many things that I, I don't know where to begin with you. Wow, well, I don't either. <laughs> oh, you're going to put the burden on me. The one thing that really interests me is you c- came up through stand-up kind of like at the around that first boom, the right? The comedy boom of the 80s. Of the 80s, which is like a lot of people would say we are in a, another boom comedy stand-up wise. Do you not think so?
2: Oh, I'm sort of out of the loop. I, I'm looking at you incredulously only because um, I... I kind of took 17 years off, so, you know, I had that book, so I didn't know it was this thing called the Jewish Book Festival Circuit, so they sought me out, and I had to do my act, so I sort of sort of returned. I always say you can't dabble, but I had to get my act ready for this crazy <laughs> place, so it's weird taking so much time off and seeing what's changed and what hasn't changed.
1: That's an... Because... Uh, I want to know what's changed, not changed, but I also want to know it's like, if you haven't done stand-up in 17 years, how is that to go out for the first time again?
2: Well, I had, like I said, I had this book called Maybe We'll Have You Back, The Life of a Perennial TV Guest Star. Just read it. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's okay, great. Thank you. And I was doing these little book events where, um, you know, uh, you don't know. Uh, I would say you know. Uh <laughs> Like Tom Kenny and I did conversation at Book Soup, or I'd go on podcast. So I was kind of coming up with some banter about a one-night stand with Kathy Griffin and people. It was almost like doing a whole new routine about the difference between me and. The cousin, being the cousin and the brother on Everybody Loves Raymond, is $77 million. (laughs) So just being conversational, little bits were coming up, or about people assume I'm rich. They point to the Hollywood Hills, like, we must live up there. And I guide their hand to. (laughs) So I was kind of coming up with stuff conversationally. So thinking that would work. But then I'd go to. Hermosa, the Comedy Magic Club, and realized you can't just be, hey, I have a book, and do the stuff that was good conversationally. You're following people joke, joke, joke. So I kind of was trying to... I'm so old that when I started comedy, they didn't have the accessibility to go, hey, here's a clip of my first time, so I was trying to like watch old YouTube videos to remember my jokes, And Don Herrera said, it's like you're stealing from yourself, (laughs) because I forget jokes I did. So, basically, I I would come up, me coming up with material was re-remembering, oh, I forgot I did that thing. It's almost like, uh, what's that movie, Moment? No, no, like a stroke victim, (laughs) where, uh, so... um, did you throw out all your old
1: notebooks and all that?
2: Which I've done a out of lot disgust. Of, a lot of stuff I, I threw out. I go through this thing. Like, I used to have clutter and, you know, feel like the 40 year old virgin with a lot of action figures. So I go through this thing when depressions and nothing's coming on. Like, I want to make way for the new and throw out stuff. And I don't want to be like a guy that just lives alone and looks at, like, scrapbooks so of this is when I was on, you know, amen. And. <laughs> You know, and these are my momentums, mementos, whatever it's called. So, yeah, I didn't have too many of those things. And it was yeah, so it's just little by little scraping by to kind of remember just to have an act ready for this Jewish book festival circuit.
1: Are you going to be doing
2: stand up regularly? Because I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of, I had a thing last night where I go, I don't know anymore. Yeah. I I went through this real arc. Where um at first it was kinda kinda cool that I hey, some of these jokes still work. And and I always said you can't dabble, but I think I can. <laughs> and now I'm back to I don't wanna do it unless it's really special. You know, it's I, I, I had a thing last night where there's a really sweet comedian. Do you know a guy Darren Carter? I know the name, I don't like, He's like, almost like a guy that's been in a coma his whole life and everything's exciting. Yeah, Burbank's great. Because he lived in foster homes his whole life and and everything's great. Yeah, oh my God, I love traffic jams. You look at people. So he's kind of, so he kind of would say, hey, I know of a restaurant. And so I did a thing last night. And um, where I was tweeting just the guy before me was at a school and wouldn't get off and where you want to stand by the stage hoping he'll eventually leave, but then you have to hear him the other (laughs) act. And just this um, and just this thing where I'm going, oh yeah, these, these things come back. It's like a trying to get back with a girlfriend, you think, oh, this is why she was crazy, you know? So I think it's getting back to where you can't dabble. Like, it's great. There's this great guy, Felipe Sparza, who I've opened for. And when I do it, it's so special. He's such a great guy. He's no ego. He's, but then you're when you're with a lot of comics at, in a group or these clubs where there's a green room or – yeah, so my long-winded thing where after last night, uh, yeah, like things, it must be fun to go with David Koechner. And but if it's fun and cool and, but if you're with a group and, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of the things where you go. Like the, the Jewish Book Festival was great or these book events because they're there to see me. Sort of. Then, then. Oh, there was another story with that. I'm going go all over <laughs> the place. Where I had to work with this other comedian who had a book. I won't name her, but and she, I was conversational, and I'd have to follow. Her and she was joke, 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 and 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 we'd have to sit next to each other after. And she's trying to steal my book. People like, hey, come on, my book. Hey, Ooh. come over here. Um, but when when they, when it feels like like. Like a guy like, when they're there, it's just, you know, see you. But when you're in this whole thing where, you know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, it's, I don't know, the doing it around L.A. kind of m- makes me not feel good about, like I feel disgusting. Well, you
2: know, the funny <laughs> the funny thing is there's a club, and I won't name names, so maybe I'll name it. But at first I thought it was a cool place. Like, wow, you know, they have this little Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I've thinking, been there plenty. <laughs> and I'm thinking, hey, this is good. I'm doing the intimate room, and the. the but then I re- it took me a while to realize. Oh God, this is gonna get me in trouble with them. But that's okay. Well, they don't they don't pay me. And I was so happy going. I don't care. I'm getting my my chops back. But it's almost like Scientology, where they have a school. I'm totally going to burn a bridge. I don't care. Well, the good thing about coming back after 17 years, at first I was very brazen, going, hey, worst case scenario, don't do it another 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this isn't what I was doing. So, what's the stress? So, they have a school, and to get stage time, you have to take their classes. And to take their classes, not only do you have to pay to take their classes, I love you. You, the owner, is it, it a nice thing? You had a benefit for a, a lawsuit I had. But it was it was more like a bringer's room where you have to bring people, <coughs> which is okay if you're starting out, and they didn't make me bring people. So okay, and I think, hey, I'm doing good at the little intimate room, but it turns out everyone's cut a, sort of jazzed up because, hey, we're here to see our friend Larry who's new, yeah, and they're supportive, and everyone's really supportive of comedians and a. T- you know in the school or there to support people so it's it's a paid audience it's not very accurate even when i was killing you know what i mean
1: yeah i felt like richard Pryor when i played there i was like oh my god i'm great at this and then
2: <laughs> then you realize these are students are like hey we're supportive which is nice to be supportive and, and after a, and then the other room wasn't as intimate and i'm not getting paid and i think what made it all fall apart was i was doing it for free um, featuring for Darren, nice guy, and then the owner was, was concerned because my act was low-key, which it always is, and so they brought in a guy to make up for how low-key I was, who like pours beer on his head and flaps on the floor like a fish, like, she's looking at her list of possibilities. Who can really make up for Fred? Oh, the guy that literally pours beer on his head and flaps like he's a fish out of water. And, and How does
1: the crowd respond to this guy? Well,
2: it turned out there was one shitty, shitty um, night that they weren't into anyone, so it didn't matter. And it didn't matter. He didn't make up for me. But it was that same stuff. Like, all right, for free, I'm being replaced like... Like, like almost like he's a superhero on call, like I make up for low key acts, like he got the I got the call <laughs> and he goes there and jumps up and down and spits, so <laughs> it's I'm saying, wait a minute, for free, um back to that old club stuff, you're too low key, and you know, so that kind of um was that tough in the 80s? Because you were so. You were located... In the 80s, was a, it was a very, like... Well, the weird thing... Okay, so in the 80s, what happened was I started in New York. And at first, it was kind of amazing because you could just do your act. And they liked it, or they didn't like But I was doing pretty well in the clubs, except when, you know, the... the, assert, the to make money, you had to go to New Jersey, Long Island, Connecticut. And as you remember my book, I... I'd, I'd go on stage, in these bars, they'd rather see some guy, you know, who's doing theme songs for shows and clapping along, or dirty, or whatever, and so, in New York, to do a gig, you had to, um, I'm having sort of anxiety, because I totally <laughs> bad-mouthing a club, and you don't have to edit it out, because, whatever, because that's the freedom of being older, and wanting to say your, you know, express yourself. And when I wrote my book, I'm going on a million tangents. I got sued by some guy. My mother wasn't happy with it. But you want to tell your story. Okay, so going back to New York, I I didn't have a car in Manhattan because it's really hard to. So they'd always have like three people meeting at the Improv in New York. And the one that had a car would drive the other two out. So I'd be at the mercy, like you couldn't just go home after your set. So I'd be in some in the winter in Jersey, and and I hear them adulating the guy who followed me after they hated me. So I'd have to, like, walk out in the cold because I didn't want to hear the bar all clapping along to his thing. Everyone, Gilligan's Island, whatever <laughs> he's doing, and they're loving him. And so I'd have to, like, walk on the highway. One time I got lost walking by myself on the highway in Jersey. So... I didn't always do so well, but it was it was okay because I was happy. I never had the ego, I'm a headliner, man. I was okay just, you know, middling and just do, you could make a living, a marginal living, get by in New York, like doing six sets on weekends. And I was okay just running around doing 15, 20. So I, I, I got by in that sense. You know what I mean? So, but then it, then the the low-key prejudice came when I would try to, when I moved to uh, to L.A. and trying to make a living, quote-unquote, headlining, which I hated, and I would headline once in a while because I'd have a credit from Letterman or something, but then you would have to follow some, on the road, some middle or, again, or they'd switch me with the middle because he was blowing the room away, or... It was really disheartening because, and I'm having that now, because even though I get the sense they're liking me and I'm connecting, but the cadence of my act isn't different. And even guys like Chicago Emo Phillips, for example, Mm -hmm. he was low-key and weird, but he was so over-the-top weirdo. He's a weirdo, but when me, I'm sort of being myself... I could tell a lot of club owners got uncomfortable because, like I said, the cadence isn't what they're used to. And I wasn't an over-the-top weirdo. Just being myself, <coughs> it made them uncomfortable. So I'd, I'd got, I got a lot of prejudice for, <coughs> excuse me, that. And I, I kind of, to be honest, didn't, don't like the onus of, well, this is my low self-esteem. When I was first headlining... I'd see people lining up to see me an hour, like for the second show, and I'd see them in security guard uniforms, or they just got off at work at Foot Locker, or I assume that, and and I'd feel sorry for them that I was their weekend, that 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 <laughs> I was the headliner, so you could argue not good self esteem when you feel sorry for people uh waiting waiting to see your show you know they're waiting an hour they're paying money I'm there weekend cuz Le- letterman once said something and I'm not comparing myself to letterman but why he stopped doing stand up he never felt he's an entertainer like you open for david Keckner i'm sure he's got a, you know a whole band and andy paley and songs and i don't feel i feel like I'm um, an interesting quirky guy but So, yeah, I never had that, dude, I'm the headliner. And so, yeah, to get it coming back where, oh, this guy's, we got to make up. Like I said, at first, it was really special, like, people there just to hear me or my book or these little things. But then it became like, yeah, they're bringing in the guy spitting and catching it in his (laughs) own mouth to make up for me or clubs. So... Yeah, it's that
1: kind of element, because I started hanging around comedy clubs in the 80s as a kid in high school. In Chicago? Yeah, and go and there was, you know, at the time during the boom, there was like f- a few clubs, and it was like, but you go and see guys doing song parodies and like horrible ones, like what you're talking about. TV, right. And it's just like, even as a kid, I was like, this is fucking garbage.
2: <laughs> well, and another thing that, that really, because um, I'm curious what the new boom is, but but another thing that, <clears throat> it became two camps. Well, the the jocks and the cool ones like um then that whole nineties. Well, a few there's so many reasons I stopped. Um not only was it a comedy boom, there was a boom of cable shows you could do evening at the improv, comic strip live, uh VH1, um Carolines, evening at the improv, you know. So I was always it was good because I could make six seven hundred, but I was doing the same. It's always what's my next six minutes, and they all blended in. It didn't matter if you did the Tonight Show, and a lot of them felt comfortable. Dude, Freddie, do that joke, you know, the college graduate. So the they, the segment producers justifying their jobs would say, "I'm going to make sure he's got a strong set." So they they go by sets you've done on other shows. So you do, it was very stale, but then there was that <coughs> hipster. Um, mr Show stuff that spawned where um the the bobcat had a, a line that i give him credit for and i steal we were hanging out with all these people and he goes they're all so cool like cancel each other out and <laughs> and where i didn't have the compulsion like an andy kindler who to go to borders they had at remember borders the yeah. bookstore they had Book things. I didn't need the ego to be up every night. And these, these, these hipster rooms were sort of like. And Tom Kenny had a great has a great line. They're like the new bullies. These, there's a new thing now. I'm all over the place because I don't know what the new boom is. But there's a thing I call red carpet comedy where. It's like, yeah, you know, what'd you wear, you know? Or I hate that I love the 80s and that Best Week Ever where they're just rolling their eyes. And who's, you know, like, you know, this kind of Comic-Con, hipstery, comic book. Yeah, Darth Vader in a burrito. Yeah, You know, they just make a reference. It's not, you know, so I can't stand these. They're like these nerds. They are like bullies because they're like snarky and going, yeah, here's a guy. You know, that nerd. I was a nebbish, a nerd and, and invisible. And, and, and now I'm a nerd means I'm the coolest guy in the world. Like <laughs> Meltdown and, you know, hey, I'm a nerd because I go to Comic-Con. I'm a, you know, I'm hip. I'm into robots. So, yeah, I saw a
1: girl at a party who was
2: like, I mean, like, like Mo- Lo- she was Lobe, a model. Then yeah, they wear the yeah. Lisa Lobe glasses and that yeah so it's this yeah I so it's so so during the 90s that started this whole thing where they're too cool to be funny and they're like talking about they think they're so brave talking about antidepressants or molestation or or cancer and Norm MacDonald I, 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 I'm realizing as I talk this all I do is quote other people <laughs> but, he said, "He said, it's kind of brave not to talk about these things. You know what I mean? Because it's, if it's funny, it's funny. But just, you're so brave, you talked about the time you, you shit in the street. Or your <laughs> uncle, that's so ballsy, you talked about touching yourself. You know what I mean? And it's like, again, Norm Macdonald, Gilbert Gottfried are hysterical, but they're not trying to be cool or imitate cool people or... So yeah, I think in the '90s with MTV, that started with the very hip and you know, hey, and so yeah. that that sickened me. And then the testosterone kind of world, I didn't fit into. Like, dude, I did a fucking hour, a man, and I. So it yes, yeah, so I like you know being conversational. Like I said, if they're there to see me or. But, but when you're, you're at a club, you're going to be with a lot of people, a comics. So I like, when I open for Felipe Esparza, it spoiled me because, hey, I like, if I do this, want to be with who I like. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's the best way. <clears throat> I don't know. Like, I, when I open for Kekner. you know, I middle, whatever, depending on what we're doing. <clears throat> but after, like, f- my half hour, I'm like, all right, I don't really want to be up here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't, I'm not like, feed me. I'm yes, like, exactly. all right, i am like alright I want to hit the bar and just relax now.
2: Yeah, and and when I got to where I expressed myself in different ways, my book or did voiceovers or I did a a movie that went to festivals. I I kind of Yeah, comedy sucked when it was the only thing I did. Then it become came sort of fun when hey, I I thought of this thing or you can do it if it's like I enjoy I was enjoying it first cuz When I don't, I'm not trying to have a DVD or a CD or have a Netflix special, which are all admirable, you know. But when I didn't have the thing, like, oh, I need the guy from Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel to see my set, you know, if any of these things happen, they're cool. But when I wasn't trying to get something, but but then it became the same depressing people to be around and.
1: It's what I realized when I came to LA. It's like it. A lot of it stopped being fun. Stand I,
2: up. <laughs> I, as I, yeah, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like I, when I did Mark Marin, um, this guy from the AV Club. Do you know what that is? Yeah. He reviewed, he reviewed my book, my Kindle single, my Seinfeld year, but he reviewed not the Kindle sing. My Seinfeld year is a Kindle single. I'm plugging. I don't care about what it was like working on Seinfeld for a season. It did really well for a while, and. He reviewed how depressing I am. I'm a quitter. I quit comedy. I quit everything. And a lot of people review me in, with that thing thinking he quit. He's a loser. And this thing, I didn't know how what the AV club was or how big it was, but there were 100 comments where people are chiming in. Yeah, that guy's a pathetic loser. He's so fragile. It did really well. This, and I, I have to thank Nathan Rabin, because no uh, people, if if I if someone said there's a there's a, a Kindle single or a story about a guy, a fragile, depressed guy who can't function trying to work at Seinfeld, I, I'd go. I'd like to read that rather than a slick Harvard guy who knows how to maneuver there. So uh, so I, I'm I'm censoring as I'm going to go. Here's a whole podcast about a guy who doesn't want to do stuff. <laughs> but I'm, do, I'm doing that again.
1: But I feel like. What that guy says is like, "Oh, here's a weak or like a loser who quits' like I mean you've been uh, that's the one thing about your book that's so great is like
2: trying different things
1: well that plus like being an actor is not like I think people think like you're an actor in l a they're just like, oh, it's just some fucking I sit around drinking coffee until i you, like people don't understand how much rejection and how much pain and how much perseverance it actually takes to fucking go out there every well, week. Well, and- you know,
2: the, I stopped doing stand up because I think I, I took it as far as I could take it. I didn't have that compulsion, and there were other creative ways I wanted to express myself. Like even this is. Um, oh, I, I met a woman, uh, and we had a conversation, and and then she goes, "You should get paid for doing podcasts." And when you when you have to explain things, I'm not saying you have to. Maybe a mug, but <laughs> I, it's just it's always the catch. Until you meet a woman and. They're crazy, but they get it. But then they don't. uh, So, um, what the hell was I saying? No, no, no. So the thing is, I took it as far as I could take it, and and said you can't dabble. You know, you got to really walk around with the notebook, or you know, you're you're gonna get caught. The reason I'm stopping now is unless something really cool comes up where I want to get in shape for it, I don't want to do it. So I got talked into doing this gym with these kids, and how to follow a guy who wouldn't get off the stage, and yeah, I don't have that compulsion, so I, I think, someone made an analogy, if you're a waiter, and then you become an actor, you quitting being a waiter, so, I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah. Yeah,
1: <sighs> and the, the act... It's really – I don't think people have any concept of how difficult and fierce those worlds are sometimes. I don't know what it was like to write for Seinfeld, but I just know like the – Didn't you read the book?
2: I bu- you read my book?
1: I read the other book.
2: No, I'm just kidding. Oh. But wasn't there a chapter in it about – Yes.
1: But I mean like people don't know what the – like how fierce those – and brutal, like you said, those Harvard guys, which I got Harvard guy stories too.
2: <laughs> right. Well, no, you know, it's – it's like it's like a profession, like being a lawyer, you know. Now being a comedy writer. Now I'm not just putting down Harvard writers, but it's almost it's almost like a thing. Like I want to be a stock guy. Oh, this is the path you. They know in college. They fit, they hear how much showrunners make and blah blah blah, and that's great. They're 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 fucking smart. I'm not smart like those guys, and they could morph as a writer. I could only write as the misfit. Character actor, nebbish guy who wanders around the Grove. I, I those guys are smart. They know how to just take any kind of thing and oh, writing about the the, the Roman Empire, uh, Broadway uh, in the forties. You know what I mean? And study it. So, and when I wrote on Seinfeld, I'd always pitch stories that happened to me. And these two Harvard guys goes. You know, nothing bad ever happened to me. They were saying we have to, we have to make things up, and I wanted to go. Nothing bad ever happened, to you I wanted to punch him. There's something bad, <laughs> so, so they, 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 and they're, they're very creative where they can make things up. But I, I'm not that creative. I have to, I just take things that happen to me. So, I forgot what my tangent was about.
1: The Harvard G- or the per- the perseverance.
2: Yeah, and that whole, you know, yeah, but they, they. I, I, I wasn't that smart I didn't think be a TV writer and then you become this and that I just
1: you know that's interesting because that's how I felt like with because I worked at Second City and there was like it was almost like any other world of like well you go to college you get a job like I felt like there was this path that was already laid out because you did comedy you should get then write for television like and just follow right. this thing without going and not thinking about it I don't know and, right. it, and I kind of was trying to write for television and it it started depressing the shit out of me because I was like, I don't want to do this. And I'm not.
2: Well, I'm, uh, yeah. And I, I it, again, the good thing about me being older is it took me a long time to trust writing because I, 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 I had no confidence. I would try out ideas on people. Oh, that's been done. That's not what they're looking for. And then as you get old, like I say, realize, all right, I, I live in an apartment. I don't have kids, no mortgage. So I'm able to get by where I'm not trying to fit into other people's puzzles where I go, you know, the old cliche, write what you'd like to read or see. And, well, I'm not quoting Tarantino, but one of his quotes I love is when he wanted to write something, they he, people would say to him, they'll never let you do that thing with the cutting off the ear. And he says, if you say a they, you create a they. So by, do you know what that means? Yeah, yeah. So by going, this is what they want, if you're saying they, so he said, you know, that. So... So now uh, I just want to, yeah. So if you want to express yourself, like a friend of mine does really well. He, he pitches uh, shows and sells a lot. Some go on the air. Some become pilots because I'm not looking to scratch a creative itch. You know, he just studies what they're looking for. These kind of, hey, dude, bromance comedies are big this year. You know what I mean? And he's brilliant at it. That's and like a science so, almost. It's just like a yeah. Whole m- so and he admits it, <clears throat> and he and he's he's brilliant. He could go into a room, pitch, and they love him. He knows how to do that. Yeah, and so I, when you're talking about writing world, if you if you, you know, if mortgages are very valid, kids are valid. If that's your life, it sounds fulfilling. But that's what the that becomes not so creative. If you're if you're like a guy like the late Drake Sayder, did you know him? No. He was a, on a young comedian I was on a young comedian special where two of them are dead and uh Warren Thomas died of AIDS related and and Drake Seder, uh he may have been bipolar but he he worked on Larry Sanders and Ben Stiller's first show and then something's going to happen where you you could have that then, then he was, uh, he committed suicide when he was, and I'm not saying this is why he did it, but they were doing a remake of Mr. Ed with Sherman Hemsley, or then he had to work on Empty Nest, so I'm sure, my friend Steve Scrove, in nine years, was at the mountaintop of Everybody Loves Raymond. He wrote on it, went executive produced, and that was nine glorious years where he could live for the rest of his life, but still, then eventually you know he's trying to write on these nickelodeon shows where the kid goes we have the duty contest you know i'm I'm making that up i don't know (laughs) but you know what i mean where you know what i mean so if you're lucky you could have nine years of a creative great show or larry sanders but you were probably trying to get into
1: we're going to take a break from the conversation for one quick moment i just want to Ask for your help. If you can go to the Feral Audio page and go to the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page and uh, click on the Amazon link and maybe put that in your toolbar or something. So anytime you buy something on Amazon, we get a kickback of that money a little bit and it helps support Feral Audio and my podcast. There's no advertising on my show, so it's a great way to support. Also, if you can donate some money, that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, we always are in need of equipment or uh, New microphones and stuff, so that would be grateful. Also, go to the mattdwyer dot com. You can see some photos of this uh, episode up there. It might be t- be a couple days after this airs, but um, there's uh, photos from all my podcasts uh, and road trips and stuff. So check out the Back to the conversation. Yeah, why do you think that isn't for some people? It's not enough. Like they always gotta like some people. I just they just gotta be the number one guy it's like i'd like i don't understand like Keckner said that to me once you should always want more and i was like you should I always
2: i was like you should be happy with what that's, you have th- well that's my problem i, I you know uh, last night i had to wait as this piggish guy did like 30 minutes and that's probably why he'll go far if you have an ego if you you know um and what you say is interesting because I never thought I'm the best man. I I should have my own specials. I think um, as they say, be careful what you wish for. I just maybe I like being a quirky guy. People recognize here and there and comes in and hey, you oh he's funny. You yeah, see, that's why I stopped stand up for my ego. Yeah, I have a little ego, but I like when people go, oh, you're funny. They recognize me. I don't have to be on stage and not get off and 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 do encores. And yes, that's why people make it big like people will talk sometimes I realize I'm going you know who's as an asshole has a big ego then I go Fred but this is showbiz you, you're supposed to have an ego and maybe that's why they made it really big <laughs> so David Keckner has a point but I just maybe it's frustrating but I like expressing myself the book has been the most fulfilling thing I've ever done where I got to tell my story and not walk on eggshells and I didn't make a penny from it i you know, maybe eventually I will, but it's a small publisher. But I'm maybe I'm happy, and again, I was happy doing these little book events, but I'm yeah, I don't have that compulsion, and maybe that's why I never really made it really big because I'm not, yeah, looking to get, steal the stage and not get off the stage.
1: But yeah, I think the perception of what. People consider successful when you're a creative individual. Sometimes is uh, a bit garbage. Well, uh,
2: like I said, there's a difference between, and there is some. I'm not generalizing. there are some that, like the Vince Gilligans and, and the, all that are c- really creative, really hit hit it big. You know, uh, you know, who get to be creative and do something you know really loved by a big amount of people. But, yes, then there's so much to talk about. Like, in Hollywood, people get... And I was like that hard up for validation. Like, there'll be people, my commercial agent, something... or I'll, And I've done it where... But then I have to say, Fred, you're... If you get this, it's something that's not even great. <clears throat> but we get hard up for a validation. We've got to realize, what are we getting so stressed out for? It's just a validation, you know? So you got to get away from that. So... So there is a big difference between trying to be creative and write and express yourself in your voice. And if you're being a TV writer, that where it's about you know the mortgage and the deals and the stuff. A lot of it is uh, song and dance, or you know, you know. When I wrote on Seinfeld, I didn't know that. I thought, oh, this is a acting job, a writing job. I didn't realize these these. These writers during lunch were meeting with agents and they had three deals down the line ready. You know what I mean? Using the Seinfeld thing to get the next Castle Rock thing. And that's the next thing. So, again, these people could do it. I'm not putting them down. It's just, you know, I wish... It's just different temperaments.
1: Yeah, I don't have... I've always been like, oh, I can just get a better lunch now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or something that feels good. Look, I'm not adverse to money. I'm not... Adver- that's why I don't want to stand up for free anymore. I, you know? I'm I'm just... Um, I'm not adverse to money. I'm just... As I get older... You know what my goal is? My goal is to not do things that make me miserable. Cattle call auditions make me miserable. Traffic, sometimes you can't avoid it. You know? Being with certain people make me miserable. As I get older, it's hard to sit in these big cattle call auditions. I just did this show... It's a silly show for teens, but they they ask for me. I've done it three times. I haven't had to audition, and they're really respectful and appreciative when I do it. Is it some is it is it breaking bad? No, it's you know a thing with ghosts and for kids, you know. But so as I get older, it's it's more about it being a pleasant experience and uh so I'd rather just take my shot that people will seek me out to be in, you know, the flippity, you know, teenage show or, you know, whatever. I'm making things up. Or, <laughs> you know, Freddie is the dude of the house, you know, whatever the show is. But, you know, as long as I did one show, actually, Cory in the house where I was in a food fight, that I don't want to do anymore, you know. But, but again, if they request me and, and are appreciative, it just becomes... Just self-respect and and, and not, uh, you know, and yeah. So so I'm like you in the fact that, you know, and, I, and when I when I didn't get brought back to Seinfeld, people act like I was a, a pitcher for the Yankees that quit to be a paper boy. That's, like, because I wasn't using that credit to get on other sitcoms. That happened only because it wasn't a great experience and then I quickly got a lot of guest spots without auditioning and thought that was my next path. So people, they didn't understand why I stop stand-up. They thought there was something wrong with me. It's the ultimate. What's wrong with you? And they didn't understand why I wasn't using my Seinfeld credit to get writing jobs on Caroline in the City and these things, which, again, valid things. I enjoy being on them. But you have to sit in a room with some loud, aggressive people and throw out jokes. And I don't know how to write that kind of stuff. Yeah, I had a friend- I'm going to just... Yeah,
1: uh, I had a friend who said he was working on a, like a nightly talk show thing, and he was like, You know, the whole life I, we did comedy and theater. He's like, And I tried to avoid having an office
2: job, and now I have an office job. He's like, he's like yeah. It's a good one. But there's it's great, there's a King song, Working at the Factory, check out, where he, he always didn't want to work at the factory, and then he got in show business, and he was working at the factory, felt like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, look, there are some people that love it. I always quote, reference my friend Mike Rowe, who growing up watched the Dick Van Dyke show and wanted to be that guy at the table. My friend Steve Skrovan lo- loves, and I'm not, he doesn't have a distinctive, he admits it, like conflict life. He loves morphing into whatever show he is, like a detective, like a puzzle. Okay, this show is about Ireland. This show's about whatever, people have Tourette's, and he'll do the research, and he loves that. You know, I could only write as this goofy guy.
1: Have you thought of trying, uh, not trying, but have you thought of writing anything? Because the book you have done has been all personal stuff. Have you thought about exploring, like, fictional writing and all? Yeah. Based out of your... Well, Freddie and Vinny, which I ha- didn't see. I couldn't find it um, like in short because
2: I got hipped to it too late. It's on Netflix streaming, Fred oh. and Vinnie, That's another true story that, uh, yes, I would like you know. But the thing is, if I tried fiction writing, it would still be the lonely, weird, misfit guy. Um, but I want to try to, yes, make it me, but not so, so, so. Memoir, auto—you know—make b- things but twist it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I'm 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 dabbling with that now. Yeah, because the I
1: I just I like I was just curious because I do like your writing and like yeah, I mean I just thought if you jump, you know, that's usually the next step or a another step is like all right I'll try to write something that's sort of right gooberly goo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not even a word, Fred. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Something like that, yeah.
1: And you're also doing the thing with your... You're doing the phone calls to your mother? (laughs) (laughs) Is that not something I should bring up?
2: Well, you could bring it up. My mother doesn't know about podcasts.
1: (laughs) What if she was real savvy? What if she was one of those uh, uh, Mr. Show guys? She just loves Mr. Show, and she's really just into that whole comedy world?
2: The funny sad thing is I just cut cable to save money, and and she has cable. (laughs) but no because she lives in a retirement community where it comes with a place um, but uh, she doesn't know how to do a cell phone or an email you know it's uh but basically make a long story short um well no, i probably won't but uh, the tom <laughs> the, the, the tom kenny messages yeah could I run to the... I'm so neurotic. Don't you worry can about keep it. keep that in, that I need the bath. I was drinking too much water. Okay, sorry. Okay. So I, my, my book, my mother won't read it because it's real stuff and it's too painful for her to read. So I brought a camera guy with me to Florida because I got booked at this feeble book festival in Florida with this rip-off, uh, what's it called, uh, um, publicist. But it was at a Spanish-speaking mall and I had to sit there. And so I brought a camera guy just to film me talking to my mother about why she won't read the book. <laughs> so I have footage with that. I want to do something with that. But there's this other thing where it's a strain talking to my mother. It's a strained relationship. You know, she, I kind of, I'm on, on eggshells. Why are you always alone? Freddie, what's wrong? What do you do during the day? You know, so I, Okay, so just to backtrack a little, Tom Kenny, who you know, Tom Kenny, who you know, right? I, I know his wife. I've known his wife also oh, since I was in Chicago. A, yeah. Yeah, I've obviously, SpongeBob does a million things. And I did an animation show with him. And one time I played a recording of my mother talking about Florida at a movie mavens club. And they got a kick out of Tom and his wife hearing her. So I made up this scenario that um one of the guys on Handy Manny, um one of the actors, he thinks you know, he's very piggish. When you have a line he likes, he pushes you out of the way and throws you down. And and I'm just I, I just would make up this thing how he needs attention. So you know, and he cries if he doesn't get attention. And my mother was just saying that's awful. Oh, I said that he broke into our locker room and stole my wallet. That was my first <laughs> one. And he, and he wouldn't give it back. And, you know, so Tom and Jill loved hearing this. And Andy Paley, our mutual friend, got a kick out of it. So just the next time I talked to my mother, you know, to, you know, I shut off. Because, you know, when I try explaining things to her, she doesn't get it or she just panics. So so then I first record again and made up another story how that I, there were so many that in the cafeteria, Tom takes the, the food of one of the kids, goes, I have a bigger part than you. Or he walks <coughs> and, and he eats his ice cream and the kid cries. Or how Jill, then <coughs> Jill loved hearing this, so I got her involved, how... She came in, and she was cheering. That's my husband. He makes the money. When other people do their line, she'd boo them. <laughs> and the security guard took her out, and she was crying. And then through a window across the street, she'd stick her tongue out and <laughs> boo us. So uh, Andy Paley, this mutual friend, it, it made me have a purpose. So when I talked to my mother to make it fun... I'd make up more <laughs> scenarios of these things Tom does. Like like he's a troublemaker, like he just did another voiceover and these other guys were chasing him and he ran in and shut the door and they're pounding on the thing. and Or one of them was... They put him in an isolation booth so he wasn't disturbed by the people because he tackles you and he's <laughs> pounding on it. So uh, so then I tried to stop. Oh, one of the things. So then my sister calls me up. She goes, you told Pearl, she can't say mom, that the guy from the voiceover drives by your house and laughs because I only live in an apartment, not a house. <laughs> so he drives by and laughs. And... So I had to say, please don't tell her. But yeah, I make these things up because it makes it more bearable talking to her. And then I, I have such a nothing pathetic life. I love playing them for Andy Paley and Tom. And then, uh, so I, I, so I try to stop because I thought I, I said I'm gonna get caught. So then, but she kept asking, "How's that guy who thinks he's better than everyone?" <laughs> so I, I made up that. Oh, we once had a, a person, a counselor, come in who had to deal with difficult people. And he told us, when he comes in, give him attention. He needs attention. So 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 he doesn't act out. Like, he, he'd play a song. He learned we'd have to clap along, or he'd show his karate moves. And my mother goes, why do you have to, you know, placate him? He's no better. Or then the counselor, he had another thing where he'd run to Kmart next to, to the, the studio. And on his breaks he'd laugh at people who work there cuz he's better than them and he'd come back and i would get his aggression out you know i'd make i'd say these things so so i, I, I try to stop and she would keep asking how he's doing and then and then finally the show was off and i i just said it's a rap party and how Disney canceled it so him and his wife walked around with Parkers protesting <laughs> saying Disney is cold <laughs> you know and then they fainted because they needed water and so then it just kept going so I wish I would have thought to do that with it because my mother's incredibly tedious to talk to but I, so it, yeah I make up these this thing and Tom became this whole other character but finally I had to make up that he moved to Vermont that they drove him out of town <laughs> that he was doing these things where he would go into other people's yards him and Jill and take their toys in their mouth like a dog and cry them over the fence steal things so finally he got in the car and to leave and people were pelting him with tomatoes and he he held his kids up as human shields and so now he lives in vermont this is going to make no sense to anyone out there uh, i don't
1: it's killing me
2: Oh, I have some I, of those, yeah, messages. I'll, I'll, I taped. I'll play for you. So Andy Paley's been telling me about those for like four Uh-oh. years. Like you I know, would just get again, Andy's version. How, but maybe they're not amusing, but I just Paley lives for them, and that's why I kept doing it. And uh, he just, yeah. So again, it's sad. It's, 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 it's actually sad that the only way I could communicate with my mother is making up a fictional villain, and she would side with me, saying. It's okay you live in an apartment. He shouldn't taunt you for that. So basically it ended up giving me camaraderie with my mother some empathy cuz someone was more of a bully to me than she was. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: sorry. Oh, no, I
2: No, I like when I get empathy that that you're affirming it's, you know, okay to live in an apartment at my age and why don't you own property people <laughs> I've I've dated single moms Where the kids will say Why do you live in a house Apartment at a house You've been on TV And they keep bringing it up And uh, and I, I, I lost it at, at an 8 year old <laughs> I swear to God Go what's wrong with you And I actually said You're living in a house when it's in foreclosure So that's better than me <laughs> And I'm yelling And the kid So the kid One kid was crying And Oh God But you're getting judged And, that, and they're crying I said well, it's my mother, and and now these kids are judging me. Uh, I actually heard something on my side that time.
1: I uh, no, I mean I relate because it's like, I came from a very working class family, and it was like to, when I said I wanted to go and do theater and comedy, it was like, I I could have I, I should have just said. St- I could have said the worst thing on earth and it would have
2: probably been better. Like it was, they just looked at me like, how dare you? Well, you know, one thing I did in my act, and it sounds like something I made up, but it was true. Back in 78, when I quit college to be a comedian, it wasn't like it is now or it's a profession. It, and co- being a comedian, I'm not saying this to be funny, is mainstream. It's not like, wow, you're doing something outrageous. It, especially in L.A., New York. it's If someone is out here trying to be in showbiz, it's more than the norm. It's norm that they're trying to do it, you know. So she you know, she had the stereotypes of what a comedian was, the cat skulls, So she she couldn't under, she wouldn't tell any friends. She goes, I'm not gonna tell you that you're a comic, I'm gonna say you're retarded <laughs> That made more sense. That so yeah, so it was um Yeah, I forgot what I was saying. saying. When you
1: said you started stand up too, though, there was like now there's like you could go to a billion places just in LA alone and do stand up. Like, but there was like there wasn't that many places to go. No, no. I
2: again, I the reason I got into it. Pathologically shy, very depressed. Is um, I knew the real world wasn't for me. I was paralyzed with fear, like I knew I couldn't be an architect, I had no confidence, you know, and um, I just knew, I, I'd see my father be in rush hour traffic two hours each way, I just knew that wasn't a life, just rush hour traffic home and back, so then I'd see character actors on TV, <clears throat> whatever, you know, weird, Herb Edelman, people you never heard of, just weird kind of, and I'd always go, I relate to them, you know, or see Jimmy Walker, a skinny guy on Good Times. They didn't have skinny black guys back then on TV. A weird-looking guy. So I remember I went to a comedy club with my sister, older sister, and a friends called Pips in Brooklyn, and I saw Richard Lewis and Billy Crystal before they made it. And my friend, my sister's friend, was saying, "Yeah, there's a uh, the way they got on. Where you get uh, what stand-up comedy?" So they said, well, they, they went to uh, Jimmy Walker, Freddie Prinze. They What they do is they go to a... They went to this place called the Improvisation of Manhattan. You do your act. Then they get on The Tonight Show, and then they get in a sitcom. So that was... Yeah, again, we obviously didn't have the internet where you see clips and, <coughs> you know, Funny or Die, UCB sketches. So I was never had any inkling... T- to be funny it was never funny it was very again very shy and depressed but it seemed like a path again I'm contradicting myself now <laughs> because we're talking early about the Harvard guys this is their path like you go to Harvard Lampoon you do this I thought maybe I could be a quirky character actor so um I didn't think that I thought it when I saw a path because I thought to be an actor, you, you you had to start on the Brady Bunch. Your parents had to get you into acting. I think I heard that somewhere. You have to start when you're young. But then I heard about, oh, you do your act. So I fantasized being on The Tonight Show, going, yeah, this is only my second time doing stand-up. <laughs> then I thought I'd be on a TV show. So even though I was pathologically shy, I said, you only have to go up one time, Fred. And uh, so I'd go to, I went to summer camp... And prepared my act, and I bought like again Jimmy Walk album, Richard Pryor, and again we all go by what we see. I'm sure these snarky comedians watch clips on you know, or they watch Funny or Die, or I Love the 80s, and think you're gonna go, yeah, dude, Gerard Depardieu with with Comic Con with Obi Wan Kenobi. That's a, you know, I, you know, that's what that's what it sounds like to me, <laughs> you know, where they're snarky, you know. So I just went by. Thinking, all right, you have to talk about coming from a bad air, air, neighborhood. I, you know, That's what I listened to. And again, you couldn't do research like on the internet. So I went to the improv, waited online, and, and about six weeks tried it and did jokes about being in a... It was just bad. Yeah, my neighbor, there's a black guy and he's bald. He, we call him co-black, you know, thinking like you got to make up characters. It was so god-awful. So I quit. It was too painful. And then for three years, I said, you know, I, I think they laughed at me. I think they were laughing at me one time. I go, but I got feedback. Maybe I shouldn't have quit. So I went back in 1978 and put together, again, corny stuff. Like, yeah, and when Gerald Ford was president, he made 50 vetoes. I guess he's trying to get the Italian vote. just <laughs> Got very bad, but I had my head down. I wouldn't look at the crowd. But they said, all right, you could hang out if you want, meaning every three weeks I'd go up late night, and I'd follow Gilbert Gottfried, it was late night. And so little by little, I developed this act. And I thought it was, I remember when they said you could hang out, I i couldn't sleep for three days. I thought I was really going to be on happy days and all my dreams be a character actor you know because i knew the what the improv meant and thought i was part of it so there were there was no paid jobs there was there was nothing the only thing was pips in brooklyn and again i wasn't doing it i just did it because i thought my getting my foot in the door of the improv was my way out of sheepshead bay in brooklyn where it was like the movie saturday night fever even though it was near manhattan it was small-minded when Sunday Night Fever came out, people emulated them more. We, th- I thought it was showing how racist and small these people were. They aspired to be more, like um. That so I thought it was my way out of Brooklyn, and uh, just being in the door, being in at the Improv. I, I thought it was getting into Harvard, and so there weren't the gigs then. About a year or two into it. They started popping up: New Jersey, Long Island, Connecticut, like I said. And uh, I was kind of in a false comfort zone because, hey, um, and my head, my again, I'd had my head down. I'd do morbid, non sequitur lines or nooses, and then I started getting a persona, not a fabricated one, because I couldn't look at the audience, and I would say things like my mother really said, and do these morbid one-liners. So that low-key thing just sort of, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, would it take like you'd be uh, every three weeks you'd do? I mean, before the whole Brooklyn, uh, Jer- before you go to Jersey, would you have to like wait three weeks to
2: do a set? Like, like the, at the, the no, when the comedy boom started, I the, mean, pre, pre, the, when you first started, or yeah, it would be. Yeah, I, I just, um, it was hardly ever getting on late night, and but once in a while I'd get on, and maybe they, I, by accident, was getting laughs, just saying things my mother said, or just weird things i said so just this weird persona and and you know the late ronnie shakes a great comedian kind of encouraged me and people people encouraged me they they saw this they saw something and and uh do you you think that performing and all that
1: stuff helped overcome that shyness a bit
2: well it's weird because a lot of people still don't get it i'm still shy hey you got in front of people I'm shy one-on-one or trying to meet a woman. It's funny, trying to meet women, like I'd stand when I do an act and wait when they came out and hopefully one said, hey, you were funny. I'd just stand there like and greeting people as they came out. So I, I had the crutch of wanting them to break <laughs> the ice. So I'm not I'm not good, you know, if someone doesn't go, hey, I've seen you, you're funny. So it, it, it was two different realities because actually when I did it... People would smoke a lot in those days in comedy clubs, and there would be a big billow of smoke and i wasn't I was okay if I didn't see them individually, but if someone came that I knew they were just like a clump of people, so it wasn't it was two different things getting up on st and again that's why my persona was not looking at the audience and uh because I couldn't, and then I had to come out of that, yeah. <clears throat> That's oh, well, sorry sorry, I want oh. to go sorry oh no what did you, what did you want to do? Just go back to one thing I oh sure, absolutely, so when I'd go on the when I did New York, it was sophisticated, it was almost like jazz clubs where you could just do your act, just come up and open with something weird, like look at them, go, I was killed in Vietnam, that was like an opening joke or and <laughs> but then when you do the road is a headliner, you I would bomb until I realized. I had to acknowledge I'm on their turf. Like, oh, I did Chicago. One time I did it in 1988 or 89. I opened for Ellen DeGeneres at the Improv. And that was before the bulls were what they were. So, so then I, it took me a while to realize you can't, you have to, acknowledge, and there was actually a, there was like a, a store that said, do mopeds, do drugs, not hug. Do, dr- do mopeds, not drugs something a moped store so i'd make a joke yeah you always have that option you need to acknowledge you're on their turf like i said the yeah the chicago bulls he's really good
0: and even if it's not a great joke
2: they like that you're catering so i bombed when i did um texas but then i had to acknowledge oh here's the jew on your turf i'm the new yorker visiting you So when you did colleges, I had to always ask for the school paper and make a, hey, Mrs. Mendelsohn got elected. Ah!" (laughs) So it really waters down your act. But I admire acts. Uh, I think Al Lubel, a great comic, could just do his act. He can't cater, but I had to cater. You had to go, oh, here I am and whatever, Miss uh, Toronto. So, So it got watered down when I'd headline. It's, I mean,
1: it's a lot different out in certain parts. I mean, as you know, but it's like, you have to kind of alter things a little bit when you're playing, you know, yeah. somewhere in Ohio. It's like, they're not... Yeah. Here in those, in New York, you can be a little bit more sophisticated. Out
2: there, you kind yeah. can't... Sometimes your risks screw you. Well, you know what, you know what's weird? Um, the low-energy stuff, like, I remember I'd go somewhere, and... You'd always get the one guy. I got you, like showing he's the smart one. <laughs> and he's always, oh, there's one apologizing for the hicks here. You'd always get a nice one apologizing for the not sophisticated people. But then I'd always, you get out, oh, it's just Virginia Beach, or it's, it's not sophisticated, it's San Diego. But then I remember I did San Francisco. And the punchline, I didn't do so good, I think because it's like right Touristy. Remember it's like right on the uh if you've done the punchline in San Francisco. I've never done that But it's more like the uh the pro not the promenade. What's the thing where they go on the dock? Um Oh yeah. I, I know Yeah. But I, you can't go, Oh, this is San Francisco, Fred. They don't get you. But but yeah, they 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 much they're very comfortable with the cadence of a comedian. Again, uh, in a perfect world, I'd like to go to places where, hey, Fred Stoller, we'd like to hear his stories. Not the you know the template of the comedy club. They're playing the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to Rekabees. And tonight we have a show. Yeah. Have you p-
0: compiled
1: any of this? Like for a one man show, I guess what that would be. That's what they. I said one man show to somebody and they got. They were like, if they just didn't call it a one man show, I'd be interested. <laughs> that, uh,
2: that you know something. Um, I kind of would like. I still don't have that. Jones to Fred at the theater talking about you know um, there's a lot of headaches where bugging people to see you and get in the theater and and I always feel guilty when they have to pay to see me like asking friends um, if it happened because it happened you know um, that's why the Jewish book festival is great I, I, I'd like to have another book just to tour with it I love that I love here's my book here's stories um and they fly you around or even at bookstores but um I don't know if I want to do a theater where the set is a chair and you know and <laughs> this is my welcome back kata poster and let me tell you what this means and the light goes dim um yeah I wish I had that dry yeah. um there's a lot of
1: storytelling shows now which I know nothing about I just know yeah. there's a lot of them out there
2: you know there's... this I hate scenes, and there's so many <laughs> different scenes. There's that, what's that scene? Sit and spin, which at first was good, but a lot of them, self-congratulatory, and a lot of them are showrunners, you know, that are we're writers, and they make a lot of money, and they're, then it became stand-up, where they just, they're doing dick jokes and talking about going to a strip club, and again, I don't like scenes. I don't like being with a lot of people. Yeah, I I
1: never I don't think I ever saw Sit and Spin. I just, some of those other shows though, I felt like I was just like like you said, it was just all
2: everyone being like, hey, aren't we great? And I yeah, like, I was like, <laughs> some story these shot. At, that's a great thing for a storytelling venue. We should call it, aren't we great? <laughs> you know, yeah, I hate having to do things where where you're asking people to pay to see me. Hey, friends, see my show. Fred, the storyteller. Uh, I, that's why I like books and the comfort of... uh, Actually, until they got to be morning zoos, I like... um, I like doing radio shows where you're just conversational. I mean, I like this. Again, you know, if you could figure out how to monetize it, but I like telling a story. That's why it's great when the pressure of monetizing things, what can I turn this into, goes away when you could just be creative and express yourself. But I don't... I like telling stories, but I don't like the storytelling venues, yeah.
1: Would you ever want to do your own podcast, or does that sound grotesque as well?
2: Well, you know, there's a few problems with it. Um, I, I, I'm I, not like well, like a Bill Burr that could go on a rant, and he's great, he's yeah. great. Yeah, and Maren does like a half hour at the top, and I'm yeah. like,
1: I maybe sometimes do two minutes where I talk about something personal. And I'm like, maybe I should do it more, but I get that. Well, well
2: again, with Bill Burr, it's not personal, but he's so, he'll just talk about the ALS bucket challenge and do an hour. And and I don't have that sensibility. And or um, the thing about it is, you know, with my book, my Kindle single, at first I was trying to... You know, bug celeb friends, will you tweet the link? Will you get the blurb for my book? And Sarah Silverman had a great tweet, like, oh, we were having such a great conversation until you asked me to be on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I could see eventually, hey, and I, I had to bug celebrities to be on the gate show, a little comedy bit I tried doing, a, a web series, I had to bug them to, you know, uh, do a blurb for my book. I'll still have to bug them. to. I had to bug them to do a fundraiser for a lawsuit. And I just see me... You know, you're smart where your podcast isn't just comedians. And it's interesting people. And some of these podcasts... It's like Greg Fitzsimmons going on Adam Carolla, Adam Carolla on Greg Fitzsimmons, Jay Moore on Adam Carolla, and yeah, I and I don't do tech. I wouldn't know how to do the uh, what's it called, um, you know, the what's it called, oh, the, the image, the logo. Oh, well, I mean, I'm on a network, so he could always yeah, play. and may, maybe if someone did it for you. Yeah, or if I if I teamed up like Doctor Drew, I'd been on his, and someone came to me with you and this guy who'll get all the guests and put it on Yahoo <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it's supposed to be on. But I just again, if it if it fell on my lap, something. Not, yeah, not yeah, I'm
1: a I'm a tech idiot too, so I can't I can't I can't do that myself. Did you find that though? Because publishing is something I've. I mean that's a tough world too. Oh my god! I mean it's. I've had a number. I, it's. Do you find it as can be as heartbreaking as the other forms well, of shows? Well, yeah.
2: Well, what happened was <clears throat> many years ago. I um. I l- I like the idea. Maybe we'll have you back about like the perennial TV guest star guy that goes from show to show, like a nomad, like a guy a baseball, or basketball player that goes team to team and. So I wrote a version of it, and uh, through some connections, I would send it to literary agents, and I'd have to print it up. This is before PDFs, and I'd have to go to, you know, to uh, Kinko's and make a copy and send it. And they'd they'd say things like, you know, uh, this is okay. This is interesting, but who cares about a guy whose name we know? We don't know, but we're sort of familiar with, or it wasn't salacious enough? It's not like, yeah, a hundred blowjobs in a week, or my, my my month in rehab. You know those gritty kind of, you know, uh, hey, I, I it, it was it, it's just my book. Yeah, I'm not trying to be. You know, some of them I think play up like these storytellers, like yeah, I, again, I. Yes, you were molested, or yes, you're an antidepressant, or yes, you lived in the street and did crack, and who knows even if these stories are true. But you know what I mean? And So I I went through a depression and never saw the likes of, because as an actor or a voiceover guy, (coughs) you'll get rejection, but uh, it's for this part. Even with stand-up, I stopped doing it, but when they rejected my life, saying who cares about this weird you know, guy, you know, or it's not salacious enough with, you know, yeah, it really, really, I and I put it, I just had it sit in my computer for almost 10 years thinking, maybe one day I will be a guy who they want to hear my memoirs, but I don't want to push it. I don't like to push things. I'm like that with everything. Like I said, with the podcast, maybe once someone will say, hey, you and uh, Adam Carolla on this thing or whatever. But I, So... Long story short, I sent drafts of it to a few friends when you could do a PDF, hey, this is interesting. And I said, Yeah, but I'm not the parental guest star anymore, but these are old shows. Hey, maybe you should revisit this. So then I um I I I sent it to a friend who uh great guy, and he actually went to Harvard, uh David Handelman, who um Said, yeah, you know, I think, uh, yeah, people tell me this is good. And he said, if anything, I know a guy in Kindle Singles. He's the editor. He, go, what's Kindle Singles? It turned out it was a pretty new thing where it's on their main page, and these little things that are forty to sixty pages or maybe less. And I, I just siphoned off a chapter and 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 redid it and I added new stuff and called it my Seinfeld year, and it was. It was, uh, and they did a nice cover art and got great reviews. And I got lucky where I went on Mark Marin and and Marketplace saw it, and it did really well. So that led to a book agent. Someone set me up. Said, "Oh, it did well on this," and so then I redid the book and got a lot of rejection for the same stuff. It's not gritty enough. It's not salacious. It's he's not famous enough. <clears throat> but then one uh, little small publisher liked it and almost a non-existent advance. So, yeah, it's salacious. So, <laughs> you, but but these these things happened that helped it. You th- it's depressing to me that like publishing because you th- would
1: hope that maybe there's still people out there who are like, let's put out some good books, and they're like, no,
2: I'll make it. It's still about. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, if your podcast was in one of the top ones, I don't know what it is, <laughs> then no. it would be easier. Or if you had a real angle, you know. Or, yeah, but like a lot of them, a lot of them, they want to know how many Twitter followers you have. If you're the guy, like again, I, I'm i not versed with comedy, but Rob, Rob Delaney has hundreds of thousands Twitter followers. He got a book. Um, You know, or yes, it's still a lot like who'll plug it, who will do the blurbs. So it's, yes, it is. Editors now aren't the old days where they edit. They are more like agents going, well, he's a regular on this podcast or, you know, he's big from this. So I had a, yeah. So I found a very small publisher. (coughs) Excuse me. But they, you know, they kind of had confidence that okay, he's a comic, and all, and I, it's funny. I lied. I, I said open invitation to go on Jimmy Kimmel anytime to plug the book, <laughs> and I I fudged the Twitter things which they could just go to. So um, so then my joke is uh, they said why aren't you on Jimmy Kimmel? I said oh that was when he had the twelve o'clock show. <laughs> the, the 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 thing went away. So a lot of these (coughs) authors, you know, will, or they'll they'll just find some hook like, uh, you know, what if you could get a forward? Jerry Seinfeld wrote a forward, and it became a big book, the, uh, what's it called, Letters from a Nut, you know, or something. But, yeah, it's still that stuff, and it's frustrating. It's like show business with everything, like who's attached with it, what celebrities will do it like I'm sure if anything you pitch I'll say David Keckno will be in it you know and you know or maybe he won't but uh but it's 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 a lot of that stuff
1: it's I don't know it just it gets so frustrating cuz it's like it's so not what
2: it's what we wanted it's well, not look, being creative it's Well I got lucky in that um the Kindle single had the Seinfeld name in it and uh What's it, what I forgot what it was called. Um, my Seinfeld Year. And it was stories about Larry David, uh, Seinfeld, um, some Matt LeBlanc stuff. So, and there weren't a lot of stories behind the scenes at Seinfeld. So, yes, I, I admit that if it was, the Kindle single was, uh, yeah, me and my mother is something. It might not have uh, passed. That was uh, one of
1: my favorite stories in your book about Matt LeBlanc and it's not it's not about him but right. just that cock... and I not to I don't want to like you just reiterate right. your whole <laughs> your book but it's a great statement about LA is like how he's the star of this sitcom he's super cocky <laughs> and then it ends and you both are at the same commercial audition. Right, right 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 and it is it's like LA will Because I had like my first thing I booked here was a 3 day shoot I had a trailer they had crazy great food on set and then the, the day after uh, you know i was in a bar mopping urine
0: <laughs> it was like
1: and it was like he's like la will just take
2: it out of you yes yes it's uh y- y- yeah that's why you you think oh i'm here this should be this from now on yeah i did this now i'm at this level no it doesn't quite work like that
1: yeah i, I even i have some friends who were like you know yeah you almost get it and it's like this town is f- like and they'll get a little cocky and it's like this town is filled with people who almost had it who had it who don't have it
2: who had a lot and now they are a security guard like it's like yep yep that's why I don't take things for granted and enjoy like being on that silly Nickelodeon show last week and like I said it's all about what is soul killing or not you know and what you like and what you don't like yeah yeah it's
1: uh, I don't know I think that's a good place to end it actually
2: all right, yeah, it's it's uh, well. This was pleasant, and and it's that's what it's about. It's about enjoying yourself, and uh, and again, I, I'm uh, people misinterpret me, and they misinterpret my book, and even my movie, Fred and Vinnie. Oh, it's negative. It's depressing. I'm just telling my story. I don't. I'm not people. Yeah, I'm just saying. I am grateful. There's a lot of fun stuff. You get a hug from Jennifer Aniston. I think the fact that I didn't have this big thing like Caroline City Regular, I'm just throwing names at, and then, you know, or the big guy at the top, so it kind of makes it like that I never had that thing you could fall from, that I appreciate just these little things that people think as big falls.
1: Yeah. Where can
2: people find your...
1: What is your your you have well, a website? Kindle
2: single, my Seinfeld year, is on Amazon, and it's probably even free. They have a thing they offer you called Kindle Unlimited for a month. And the same with my book, it's on all the things. The Kindle, you could get it from Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. And you your could, website? Yeah, FredStoller.net or Twitter me and and uh, yeah. Great. Thank you very much, Fred. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to
1: Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I appreciate you listening. Please go to my website, themattdwyer.com. Check out my... uh, That's anything you need to know about me. Blogs, Twitters, photos from these podcasts will be there. And uh, donate money if you can. Go to the Amazon link at the Feral Audio page. And, uh, you know, use that to buy some shit so we can support live podcasting. Thank you very much.